Today's scripture reading will be taken from Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 35. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. That very day, them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all that, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is uh, toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose 
that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the inspired word of God. Thank you. Thank you, Carol, for reading God's word for us. Good morning, my beloved family and friends in Christ. A warm welcome also to our friends who are visiting with us for the first or second time. My name is Oliver, and I'm one of the pastors with the elders team here at Grace Baptist Church. I'm really delighted to see all of us gathered as God's people in person today, this morning, to hear God's Word. Welcome also for our friends and and family members of uh, GBC who are also viewing us virtually online this morning. Let me pray for us before we start. O Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Father God, as we gather to hear from your word this morning, we pray that you show us your Son, Jesus Christ, in your word. May we see the truth, beauty, and goodness of our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. May your Holy Spirit open our hearts to receive your word so that the Holy Spirit working through your word might change us so that as your church, we might display your glorious gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Live long enough and you experience having your expectations dashed and your hopes disappointed. Now, Perhaps someone whom you place your hope of having your dreams fulfilled has let you down. Or the job assignment you had hoped to advance your career has turned out otherwise. We also experience disappointment and crush expectations in our faith journey. Perhaps the spiritual mentor you admired and emulated has fallen into moral sin. Or in your service for the gospel, you face suffering and opposition. Or simply the weight of brokenness of the world has washed over you and the life you experience is not the Christian life you had expected. At times like this, what does the Bible say to you when you struggle and stand between faith and doubt? How can our faith be strengthened and our trust deepened? We see what God's Word says to us to these questions as we look at today's passage from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. But let's catch up with the Gospel story first. We catch up with this story on the afternoon of the third day after Jesus' crucifixion and burial. You know, Pastor Eugene preached on Easter Sunday, last Sunday, from the 12 verses before um, today's passage. And there in Luke 24, verses 1 to 12, we read about the women And subsequently, Peter, how they were at the tomb at which Jesus was buried. They were there in the morning of the third day. And then together with them, we saw the wonder of the empty tomb. 
and we learn how Jesus was raised from the dead, exactly as Jesus has told us beforehand. And we recall too that by remembering and believing Jesus' words, we too can share in the hope and joy of the resurrection. For today, we'll look at the following verses in verses 13 to 35. And here we see Jesus' first post-resurrection in-person appearance to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the message today will comprise of four parts. Firstly, we'll be, uh, we talk about how we are confronted and confused. We talk about how Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, as promised in the Scriptures. We talk about how we can share fellowship with Christ and uh, with Jesus. And we talk, finally, we talk about how we share in the gathered community. The big idea that these four parts point to is that Jesus is the Christ who suffered, died, and was raised to life as promised in the Scriptures. And when we gather as a faith community, as church around the Scriptures, these Scriptures which point us to promised risen Christ, as we gather around these Scriptures, our faith will be strengthened and our trust deepened. Now, I read uh, recently that a well-known Christian pastor and writer, he was dismissed from his church because of his long-time bullying and spiritual abuse of uh, others in his church. You know, I had read, uh, in the past, I read a couple of his books and I admired his teaching. But when I read that, uh, he, of what he has done, I was confronted by his failures and I was confused. I mean, this is what he writes in his books and this is now how he behaves. You know, what, what has happened? What was going on? Likewise, we counter two of Jesus' disciples in the afternoon of the Lord's Day, the third day after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and burial. We see this in Luke 24, verses 13 to 16. And we see that these two disciples, they too were confronted by Jesus' apparent failure and they were confused. Their expectations were dashed and their hope shattered. So look with me in your Bibles to verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This passage starts with another journey. Two disciples were traveling to Emmaus, a village who, which uh, exact uh, location is unknown. But the one that many people land on is about 20 miles from Jerusalem. So it's about a half day's journey. These disciples apparently were headed home after a traumatic weekend. The Jesus whom they love, whom they trust and followed, had been crucified died and buried. Their hopes that they placed in Him had apparently been shattered. They had hope for the redemption of Israel. You know, redemption as used in the Bible is a marketplace word. It means paying a price to buy something back. So the disciples had hope for a Redeemer in the form of a political liberator that would deliver them from Roman rule. But now that Jesus is dead. That hope is gone. 
You know, the disciples are now calling it quits and they were now going home. And on their way home, they find themselves discussing about what had taken place. Subsequently, we'll look at verses 19-24 and we'll cover more of what they discuss. Okay? But, but their discussion, what we need to know now is their discussion was intense. Since the word used to describe the conversation here suggests a very rigorous debate. You know, perhaps they were arguing about the meaning of the empty tomb. Perhaps they were wondering whether Jesus was, had really been raised from the dead. Likely, they were wearing between faith and doubt. And then, Jesus approaches them as they talk. Though they cannot tell it is Him, their eyes are kept from recognizing Him. What we see here, my friends, is Jesus' first post-resurrection appearance in Luke is both normal and mysterious at the same time. He has, had, he has a normal human appearance, but it is different enough that He is initially not recognized by His disciples. Or perhaps, as the text suggests, perhaps God Himself has prevented them from recognizing Jesus so that they can experience this wonderful Bible study later. My friends, in your faith journey, when you find yourself in a place between faith and unbelief, confused over the situation, it is okay to express doubts. It's okay to express and talk about your doubts to one another. You give voice to your doubts as you try to make sense of your faith. As a pastor and author, Tim Keller helpfully reminds us, a faith without doubts, without some doubts, is like a human body without any antibodies. If a person does not ask hard questions about why they believe as they do, they'll find themselves defenseless. They'll be defenseless against either the experiences of suffering and tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if he or she has failed over the years to listen patiently to their own doubts. This doubt should not only be discarded after a long reflection. Believers, we should acknowledge and wrestle with our doubts, not only our own, but our friends and our neighbours. My friends, let us be open expressing our doubts and encouraging others amid their own doubts as we plead to God to give us sight to see. And to my non-Christian friends who are with us this morning, I'm really thankful you're here. I'm thankful that you're here to wrestle with your faith and doubts. And I hope that this church can be a safe place for you as you do so. You know, do ask questions. I'm sure many of us here would be happy to talk and walk with you as you seek answers. For those of you who know a little bit of my life history, I was uh, formerly a teacher with the Ministry of Education. And then for the last four years of uh, my teaching career, I was sent to Ministry of Education headquarters. And during my four-year stint there, I was sent to the Civil Service College for Professional Development. I guess they thought I wasn't professional enough. So, so as I was serving there, they sent me to upgrade and be a little bit more professional. And one of the courses I took was gave this piece of business of wisdom. Begin with the end in mind. The idea was that you begin each day, task or project with a clear vision of your desired direction and destination. For us Christians, what is the end of the scripture story? 
You know, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus was about to get a Bible study that points them to the beginning, the middle, and the end of the grand story of the Bible. So follow with me as you continue in verse 17. Here we see Jesus overhearing the disciples' conversations drew close to them. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Jesus asked them about their discussion and Jesus' question brought them to a stop and their facial expression changed. You see, what they had left behind in Jerusalem is painful to recall for hope had departed with Jesus' death. And one of the two Cleopas is amazed. You know, with irony he asks, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who who does not know the things that have happened here in these days. But the irony of this story is this. You know, as readers of a text, we know this. Of course, Jesus knows exactly what has happened since it happened to him. You know, and, and this is the delight as a reader of the story. We know secrets that the characters of the story do not know. And, and even if you're part of the story, no one could have missed what took place at least if they were present with the crowds in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, Jesus asked in verse 19, what things? Jesus asked this question, not because he doesn't know. He was right there when it happened. It happened to him. Jesus asked this question because he graciously wanted to prompt their search and understanding. And what follows is the gospel, at least the gospel according to the disciple Cleopas. The disciples answered almost immediately, seemingly eager to instruct and inform Jesus' ignorance. They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And, and they note his prophetic word, work as a man, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. You know, those of us who have been following this series in the Gospel of Luke will recall that this is the language much of Luke 4 to 18 uses in this description of Jesus, a prophet mighty in deed and word. And these disciples go on to tell Jesus about how the chief priests and rulers handed this Jesus over for death by crucifixion. The disciples themselves thought that Jesus was more than a prophet and had hope that he would be the one to redeem Israel. That was, that was the hope that they saw nailed to a cross in Jerusalem. But there was more to tell. Three days later, some of the women among the disciples stunned the group. They went to the tomb only to find it empty. They also reported angels, heavenly messengers, telling them that Jesus was alive. And other companions a reference to Peter and, and others, went to the tomb and found it empty, just as the woman had reported to them. But Jesus was nowhere to be seen. My friends, you need to catch the irony of this. How ironic this report is in the light of who was standing in front of Cleopas, right? Jesus, raised from the dead, was standing right there in front of them. You know, I, I can almost imagine using my sanctified imagination how Jesus must be stifling a smile 
because the disciples were just talking about him and he's right there. Uh, but we see here the disciples were baffled by what has taken place. The last thing they expected was a resurrection. Not thinking of the resurrection, they believed that Jesus was as dead as dead could be. My friends, so this gospel according to Cleopas really was not a gospel after all. You know, the, the word gospel means good news, but there is no good news unless Jesus is risen from the grave. As an author, Michael Ramsey has said, the gospel without resurrection, without the resurrection, is not merely a gospel without its final chapter. It is not a gospel at all. This explains why Cleopas and his friend were still so sad. They did not know for sure that Jesus was alive. If they did not see the truth or the resurrection, they could not know that their sins were forgiven through the cross or that an empty tomb was God's guarantee of eternal life. Isn't this true for all of us? There is no good news unless Jesus rose from the dead. The gospel is the crucifixion plus resurrection, which equals forgiveness of our sins and everlasting joy in God's presence. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, and to quote uh, the Apostle uh, Paul, we will be um, among those to be pitied because everything wrong with the world will then be never be made right. And what do we see here? Cleopas' gospel brings a strict scolding from Jesus. Luke 24, verse 25 to 27 writes, And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus launches into rebuke. He calls his two disciples foolish and slow of heart to believe. For all of us present here today as we reach this scripture text, this call is for us to believe and not slip into the same fog that these two disciples are currently in. We must believe all that the prophets have spoken. And this is a brief way of referring to the Scripture's promises about the anointed deliverer. Jesus refers to what Christians, we Christians call the Old Testament. And Luke uh, subsequently spent much of Luke-Acts uh, just talking about specific Old Testament texts that points to these promises. So what we see here, my friends, is the path of Scripture outlines for us that the Messiah, the path for the Messiah is first suffering, then glory. And the word used here, this sequence is necessary because God Himself designed it and planned for it. You know, Luke here uses language that makes the point really clear that this is divine design, God's design. These things are a divine necessity and they have to happen because they are part of God's effort to restore himself and humanity, to restore his relationship with humanity. And Jesus then begins with this wonderful study, Bible study. Jesus begins to explain these promises to the two travellers, working from Moses, the first five books of the Bible, 
true to the prophets. In doing so, telling them that these promises concern him, even though the disciples, as they were hearing this, they did not yet know that it was Jesus speaking to them. All of this scripture points to Jesus Christ. If we turn to Genesis, scripture says that the seed of the woman, a man of flesh and blood, will be bruised by the devil before crushing the devil's head. We see this in Genesis 3. If we turn to Exodus, the scripture says that the people of God are delivered from death through the offering of a Passover lamb. We see this in Exodus 12. If we turn to one of the prophets, Isaiah, the scripture says that the Savior will be wounded for iniquities and pierced for our transgressions. We see this in Isaiah 53. But there is more. There is more. Okay? Or, but this, this sampling of scriptures that we have just pointed out, this is about a sampling of how the scripture testifies that Jesus as the Christ has to suffer. But there is more. Scripture also tells us that Christ will be raised from the dead. We see the risen Christ in the faith of Abraham, who believed that God will raise his son from the dead. We see this in Genesis 22 and interpreted for us in the New Testament in Hebrews 11. We see the risen Christ in the sign of Jonah, who spent three days in the belly of the great fish. And as one of his other disciples, Matthew, said, this is exactly pointing to Jesus, who spent three days in the darkness of the tomb. We see him in Daniel's prophecy of the Son of Man rising on the clouds of heaven and coming in glory. We see this in Daniel 7. The Emmaus Bible study points to us, underscores to us, that the traumatic events surrounding Jesus, Jesus, Jesus suffering death and death are part of God's deliverance plan. What they have seen in Jesus' suffering and death is not the end of hope, but as the Old Testament testifies, is the beginning. It is the beginning of hope. And God, through Jesus, works to rescue a people for Himself. My friends, we cannot be like Cleopas. We cannot adjust the gospel. We, we need to know and understand the complete unadjusted gospel. You know, how has this happened for us? You know, sometimes we hear the, the gospel of the promise of faith and blessings, but no repentance of sin. And, and, we, and we need to realize it downplays Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. We hear the gospel of your best life now and the promise of health, wealth and success right now. And this minimizes the suffering that believers will experience. We live in a fallen, broken world and we follow a crucified Saviour who suffered and then was raised to glory. And this is the pattern of Scripture, the cross before glory. Believers, we too will be raised to glory when Jesus Christ returns, but we will face suffering right now. We hear the Gospel, and this is quite popular now in the West, you know, we hear the Gospel of a political Saviour and political activism, and what happens is we remove the need for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Only when we see Jesus as our crucified Saviour, who died for the forgiveness of our sins, and our risen Lord who was raised for eternal life, only then will we truly know how Jesus will satisfy our every genuine need and every deep longing for our, of our souls.
my friends, even as we read this passage and we hear of this wonderful Bible study that Jesus had with the two disciples, how should this passage influence the way we read the Bible? We need to take note that all of us are interpreters. What this means is, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we interpret all our life experiences based on our faith framework, on our framework that we carry with us, or the lenses we carry with us. All our scripture points to this fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And all of our experiences should be framed by what scripture says. What this means for us is that we should reach the Bible in the light of Jesus Christ. We should see how the Word anticipates and fulfills the promises of God in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We should approach the Bible with a Christ-centered interpretation. Because as we see in this passage, this is Jesus' own interpretive grid which He uses. This also means we need to grow to have the Bible inform our understanding of life events and experiences. My friends here at Grace Baptist Church, we encourage you to grow in your Bible reading and understanding and allow that to shape your interpretation of your life experience. Now firstly, how can we do that? Firstly, we gather as church on the weekend services to hear, to learn and to practice the Word. Secondly, we have CGs and small groups that gather through the week, like the Wednesday Bible study that meets to study God's Word together. Thirdly, we encourage all of us to continue our personal devotion and reading of the Bible. You know, I know many of us can be quite busy with our work, but there are many smartphone apps and aids that will help us take in the Bible. There are audio Bible apps that you can, usually, you can easily download, and as you travel to work, to and from work, you can just plug in and listen to the Bible as you travel. No, some of you who have uh, known me long enough realize that I like to watch movies and I tend to pepper my sermon illustration with movie illustrations. No, no, but the best movies or, that I have seen are movies where the plot reveal at the end causes me to relook at the whole story in the light of the plot reveal. And when this happens, I, I usually wonder why didn't I see that in the first, first place when it was first seen you know, at the start of the movie. Now I wonder what are the blinders that prevented me from seeing it and recognizing it in the first place. Well, I'm not alone. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus also had blinders that prevented them from recognizing Jesus as the risen Lord. What we have read in the section before, in verses, 20, uh, verses 17 to 27, it tells us the first step in removing these blinders. That is reading Jesus' life and death in the light of scriptures. And we see the second step in the following verses. We see the Christian community gathering in the fellowship meal where Jesus becomes present you know, as we fellowship and talk about scripture. So let's read, uh, let's read uh, Luke 24, verse 28 to 32. So they draw near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening. And the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? He approached uh, evening, 
And we see the three of them, Jesus and the two disciples, they near the stop at the village. And it appears that Jesus will continue the journey on. But the two disciples persuaded him to stay with them since the day is nearly over. And as Jesus reclines at the table with them, he shares a meal with them. You know, and in what feels like almost a picture of the Last Supper, Jesus takes the bread, he gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them. You know, in the rush of the narrative, the vigorous debate they had until this point, there's something almost coming with this scene. And then suddenly, the disciples' eyes are open. God opened their eyes. They see that it is Jesus that, had, has, is, that is, is Jesus that is with them. And they have been spending time with the one that they were discussing the entire afternoon. But soon, as soon as they recognize him, he is gone. And Cleopas and his friend acknowledge how amazing their walk and talk with Jesus had been. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were strangely warm. They opened and read scripture and the Holy Spirit had, had, had been working in them to warm their hearts. And now finally, in an aha moment, over a meal, talking together in Christian community, they finally got it. God had been at work through Jesus' words to help them see what God was all about in the suffering and the glory of Jesus. They've just experienced the fulfillment of God's promises as they met the risen Jesus. And although their reaction is one of surprise, it really communicates to us no real surprise in the light of what has happened on the road to Emmaus. Now, it all makes sense in the light of Jesus. You know, my friends, if you look at this, uh, Bible scholars and teachers are mixed on whether the breaking of bread in verse 30 represents the Lord's Supper or were they simply sharing a meal together and having fellowship together. Now, regardless of whether they were observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or whether they were sharing a fellowship meal together, what happens, what we see here is they were relating closely in community. And we can almost imagine a light of a Bible study was still talking and, and trying to understand uh, what they had read in Scripture together. So what we see here is Christian community gathering in fellowship around the world where Jesus becomes present. My friends, how have you been growing in our fellowship with Jesus Christ? The thing is, we need to study the Bible, yes, but we need to do so in a community. As we gather and relate in community, speak the Bible to one another. And as we do so, we testify to the crucified and risen Lord and Saviour who saved us to a church community. You know, I, I know in COVID-19 times, relating in church community is challenging. You know, I do miss the times before COVID where after a service, we gather for an hour and a half you know, in the fellowship hall. And then we had extended fellowship as we go out for lunch and coffee after that. I know this is challenging, but we can still meet in our small groups and CGs of up to eight people respecting the COVID-19 regulations, of course. While we still can, we cannot mingle after our church services, it's still possible to meet for meals outside of church service gatherings. Now, I, I know for the Saturday evening service, uh, because we usually have to have dinner after, many people go out after that to gather in dinner together. And I want to encourage that, that even more so for this Sunday morning service. Gather after this, go for lunch together. So, so last, in doing so, last. 
avail ourselves to the means of community in these limited but permitted ways so that we can point one another to Jesus Christ. Let us strengthen one another's faith and deepen our trust in Jesus Christ as we meet as a community. Lastly, you know, I have to talk about fans of sports clubs. You know, there are some uh, fans that we know of uh, sports clubs or football clubs you know, or, or rugby clubs. You know, their enthusiasm and joy over the club's victory often overflow into them, happily telling others about their club's victory, whether you want to hear or not. Right? I'm sure you've experienced that as well. And what we see here is the disciples' joy overflowing into their enthusiastic telling of others of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the last three verses together. And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It is late. But the two disciples cannot wait to report uh, what they have just seen until tomorrow. They simply must tell others about Jesus' appearance to them. So they return at once to Jerusalem. They depart Jerusalem in despair. And now they return to Jerusalem with hope renewed, overflowing with joy. There, the eleven and others, they were still gathered and they were quite excited. And before the truth from Emmaus can get their story out, the report of the truth of the women's story of what they have seen in an empty tomb fills the room. It is true, the Lord has risen indeed and He has appeared to Simon. The Emmaus disciples then tell of what has just happened to them as well on the road and how Jesus had revealed Himself to them at the table. Jesus is starting to show up everywhere. The resurrected Jesus, the risen Jesus, is starting to be seen by many weaknesses. Despair becomes delight as the truth about Jesus' resurrection begins to sink in. Despair turns to hope and joy. When we understand, when we truly understand who Jesus is and what He has done for us, hope will be renewed, our despair will turn to joy. My friends, because of this, we will want to tell one another about our risen Lord and Saviour. In our, the fullness of our joy and of overflow of, of our joy, we should be eager to tell others about our risen Lord and Saviour. Therefore, not only should we be Christ-centred in the reading of our Scripture, we should likewise be Christ-centred in our conversations with other believers. Because Jesus is the Christ raised to life, everything has changed. This should shape our conversations and our interactions. And one way of doing this is to share our personal testimonies of how Christ has saved you and changed you. And I trust you have read the testimonies of the 24 who have joined, just joined Grace Baptist Church last week. Now, you can also ask, uh, our, uh, our personal, uh, ask to share our personal testimonies when you first meet new friends in the church. Now, I know it's awkward, right? Even as I say this, some of you must think, oh, Oli, is, is this awkward, right? We meet someone new and the first thing we ask is, uh, can you share your personal testimony? I've done that. And trust me, after a while, it becomes normal. Because as we share our personal testimonies, we share about Jesus, but we also share and with one another about what, really, uh, what is really important to us, about who we are, what Christ has done for us, and how we have changed as a result. 
And that creates fellowship. And another way to tell of Jesus our risen Lord is to sing the truth of the gospel to one another. You know, for those of you in the first row, you know, as we were singing the first two songs just now, I can tell you that my heart was strangely warm. And I don't know where Helen noticed I was actually tearing. It is so good to hear us as a church sing the gospel to one another. Thank you, GBC, for being a church that sings of the gospel to one another. And my friends, now that we are allowed to sing, let us avail to this means of grace to strengthen our faith and deepen our trust in our risen Jesus Christ. To my non-Christian friends, the weakness of Luke's gospel is that Jesus is the Christ, the risen Christ, the promised deliverer of the Old Testament Scripture. Jesus has fulfilled every of the Old Testament predictions. He is who Scripture tells us He is. He is the promised deliverer that is to come. Luke also records the empty tomb and the many witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. The women, Peter, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and the 500 on the mountain. Luke wrote his gospel within a generation of Jesus' death and resurrection, and he named the witnesses. This is so that skeptics who first received his gospel could check back to the original witnesses who were still alive and, and, and ask them, is this really what really happened? Wrote, Luke wrote all this so that we can have certainty that Jesus is the Christ, the promised deliverer. So my non-Christian friends, I urge you then to turn to trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised to life to prove Jesus' claim and to give us life eternal. If this is your desire, or even if your desire is simply to, to find out more as you wrestle with your doubts, you can speak to and contact any of the elders or pastors. Our contact details are on the church website. Finally, if you believe anything, remember and feel that this encounter between Jesus and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is one of the most vivid resurrection appearances of Jesus. This account is unique to Luke and it contains many crucial key themes of the, the gospel. It tells us a lot about the importance of God's the word, uh, importance of the word's promise. It tells us about the status of Jesus as a prophet, and tells us of his messianic role. It tells us that Jesus is the risen Christ that fulfills Scripture. And as the old pastor preacher J.C. Rowell writes, Christ was the substance of every Old Testament sacrifice ordained in the law of Moses. Christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in Jewish history were types. Christ was the coming prophet greater than Moses whose glorious advent filled the pages of the prophet. Christ was the true seed who was, bruised, uh, who was to bruise the serpent's head. The true seed in whom all the nations are, were to be blessed. The true place of refuge in whom the people were to be gathered the true scapegoat, the true bronze serpent, the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed, the true high priest of Aaron, the true high priest of whom every descendant of Aaron was a figure. My friends, all of Scripture points to Jesus. And as we end, I ask you, think on these two questions. What does the Bible say to you when you struggle and stand between faith and unbelief? And how 
can your faith be strengthened and your trust deepened? Let us pray. Father God, law of promise and power, we confess and acknowledge that we often stand between faith and doubt as we face the challenges of this fallen world. We thank you for raising Jesus Christ from the dead and exalting him to your right hand where he now rules over all things. Jesus is the beginning, middle and end of Scripture. He has been raised to life as witnessed by many. Father, we plead that you strengthen our faith and deepen our trust in our resurrected Lord and Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.